Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. I just finished editing today's episode. Well, not today. It was at least 24 hours before I hit the publish button, but you know what I mean. After editing this, though, and listening to the conversation all over again, I feel so incredibly proud to say that I am good friends with today's guest. Today, we're talking to Anne from Chesapeake, Virginia. Anne and I have a weird history that brought us together in a time where we both needed to be brought back together. Anne is here because her son, Parker, has some extra special needs, and she'll tell you all about that. Anne is also here to tell us about something that most women don't feel comfortable talking about. She is open and honest and real about her postpartum depression and anxiety and how that has affected her relationship with her son. It is with honor and privilege and so much love that I introduce you to my friend, Anne. Welcome, Anne. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here and for doing this for me. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Of course. So my name is Anne Kessner. Um, I am a chaplain and a bereavement coordinator at the Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters in Norfolk, Virginia. And I have a wonderful husband. His name is Jimmy. And a beautiful son. His name is Parker. And of course, we have... um, a uh, beautiful dog, Lena, too. We have to mention the dog. Do we still have any chickens? We have two chickens. But they're not pets anymore. They're not named because they're not named. Right. Do they give you eggs? They do. They're wor- they're working animals. They are. That's why I can't name them. Yeah. I'll probably get them <laughs> we had attachment attachment issues with the past ones. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, These are the, the working ladies of the backyard. <laughs> Much like ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that should be our new club name, the working ladies of the backyard. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about Parker? I think is he's four because I know he's close to Lorelai's age. Yes. So Parker is four and he is a rambunctious little man. I think that he has both Jimmy and I's stubborn nature. He is funny. He is a blonde little man. And he loves his dog and he loves his chickens. Right now, his favorite things are dinosaurs and trains. 
Mm. Um, and surprisingly, My Little Pony, which I'm all about. Does he like any specific train brand? I mean, are we talking Thomas, Thomas Chuggington? Oh, or Thomas. Thomas, all the way. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize there were like excessive number of train brands. Oh. And, and in the Thomas family, he knows every single one of their names, and there's like hundreds of them. But yeah, Parker Parker is a very, very wild boy, and I love him for all that he is. So what what affects, what condition affects Parker? Sure. Well, so that's a still a work in progress, actually, because we, I'm trying to think at what age. Do you want me to start from the beginning? And sure. Can tell? Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. That kind of like. Uh, Piece it all together. It does. It pieces. It's a jigsaw puzzle. So backtracking to when Jimmy and I were trying to conceive, um, I knew that I would have fertility issues um, because of some of the female issues that I have. And so we weren't sure that we were going to get pregnant. So we tried and we tried and we tried. And then we decided to try medication um, to help us. And so we did, we did um, become pregnant. We found out right away. We were super excited. The pregnancy was amazing. Um, which I know not a lot of moms say, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Um, and we both had wanted to be parents. Um, and so anyways, the pregnancy was great. Um, I was high risk because I do have depression. Um, and then he was also measuring his abdomen was measuring larger than his head circumference. Um, and then a couple other issues going on throughout the pregnancy. Um, so I was followed by maternal fetal medicine, um, and how did you feel during that point of your pregnancy? I was really comforted. Um, so I'm a woman of faith and I really felt like it was all going to work out. Um, I had no, I had no concerns. Um, working in a hospital, we see a lot of different conditions and a lot of different diagnoses. And I knew that whatever God was going to place in our lives, we would be able to handle that. Little did I know that we would endure some difficulties later on, but at that point in time, I was pretty comfortable. Wow. You were pregnant when Lorelai was in the NICU. Yeah. And you were the chaplain that worked in the NICU when I was in there for my three-month stay. And did it affect you at all, having your job and being in the NICU? I assume you have to kind of compartmentalize that. Absolutely. So it is funny because I know that you knew Jimmy, my husband, mm-hmm. from church. And so then we met in the NICU. And then our friendship blossomed. And then we also had a working relationship as well. And I did compartmentalize. I tried not to let myself interfere with other parents and vice versa, because I know that each journey is different. But of course, you can't help but think, you know, of all the different things that could happen to your child. Yeah. Um, But I do remember a piece about it. Um, And I also remember the support system that we had as staff in our NICU, Um, especially when staff members were pregnant, um, we would all, you know, check on each other and continue to voice encouragement and things of that nature. And I would assume kind of jumping ahead a second, I would assume that you still have to compartmentalize and not put your story, Parker's story, when you're helping older children in the hospital or older families or moms. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing is though, As a chaplain, sometimes we're able to be a little bit more vulnerable than other professions in the hospital. And so I sometimes use this story, the one that I'm about to tell you guys, little bits and pieces to help other parents who might be facing similar difficulties. 
mm-hmm. just to show a little bit of vulnerability to ease their minds that they are doing a good job, that there are some things that are out of our control, that they're not isolated. Right. That's, well, I think, super important. So, so the next step. So, so Parker's birth story was a bit traumatic, actually. I went into labor naturally and um, my water broke at Walmart. That was a really fun part of my story. <laughs> of course it <laughs> um, did. And I refused to go into Walmart because I didn't want that to be part of his birth story. Um, so I uh, went to Wendy's. <laughs> Make sure. <laughs> Let's get a frosty, you know, nothing, nothing before, going on here. We go to the hospital. Let's just get some nuggets and a frosty. But anyways, so, so his birth, his saturations kept dropping um, into the sixties. He, what we realized afterward was that he had the cord wrapped around his neck. We also had a hard time pushing him out. His head was stuck, I believe in my pelvic bone. I'm not sure if that's anatomically correct, but I think that's what it was. And my birth plan included no forceps and no vacuum, um, just because of my experience in the NICU. Mm-hmm. That was my own preference. Yeah. Um, is this too graphic to share? You're fine. I Keep going. We're all moms. Okay. We've all been there. So I ended up getting an episiotomy and I did deliver naturally. However, Parker had a subgaleal hemorrhage. Um, a very small one, but nonetheless, they wanted to observe him. And what is that? And that is a... So I don't know that all of the technicalities, it's a bursted vessel on his brain. Um, it's not a brain bleed, but they had to monitor it to make sure that it wouldn't continue and then it wouldn't get worse. And so that was kind of scary. Fast forward to, gosh, to all the things that us moms experience. I had trouble breastfeeding in the hospital. I started emotional crying like the first night because I couldn't get him to latch And I had previously had depression growing up. So I knew that postpartum could be a potential likelihood. I did not expect the gravity with which I experienced postpartum depression and anxiety though. So Parker's head turned out to be fine. We thought, and we still think, however, I'll go into detail about that more later, but he didn't pass his hearing screen and he didn't pass his vision screen at first. So we had to go for follow-up appointments and he also had jaundice. Um, so we had a, a, you know, a couple things that were, that we rolled with, we rolled with right. it. reassuring people kept telling us that it was fine. And we believed that it's fine. So anyways, the postpartum set in maybe two to three weeks after giving birth, um, I spiraled and I can't really determine the timeline. It was up and down. But I can tell you what I remember. I remember the thoughts of sitting with Parker thinking, what was I thinking? How could I nurture him when I felt so miserable? I felt like I didn't want him, which was so ironic because I had prayed for him for so long Mm -hmm. and we had tried to conceive for so long. And I, um, I just wanted him out of the house. I wanted him out of my sight and out of my hearing. And so I remember in the months to come, um, specifically posting on Facebook for somebody, anybody, I didn't care who, to come and get Parker. Um, My husband was working nights at that time. Which is also hard. Yeah. Michael has worked nights and it's just hard on... I mean, you're basically a single mom during the days and nights because he has to sleep and it's, it's hard. 
and you have to, you feel like you, you feel as a mom that you have to do the laundry and do Mm -hmm. the dishes and, or at least that's how I felt. And can I just pause and thank you for being so open because I'm sure there's so many listeners. I mean, I I think you, I personally hear of that all the time. I've never had somebody sit in front of me and say, I wanted my baby out. And that's a real feeling. And I'm sure there's so many people that can relate to that. So thank you for, you know, being honest and open. And hopefully people know that they're not alone in that feeling. I mean, that's a very, it's a very vulnerable and potentially shameful spot to be in. Although obviously you shouldn't feel shame, but um, But you do. Yeah, you do. You very much do. And I, you know, my, my thinking is if I can help one person with my story, then I have done my part. It was very, very difficult to go through and to listen to the intrusive thoughts that enter into your mind. And, um, it was also very hard on my marriage. There were moments and I won't, I can go into more detail if you want, but there were moments and I'll, I'll just highlight this because I want other moms to hear this where I personally felt that life would be better without me. I did not have a plan by any means. And and of course I sought help right away. I had my, my pediatrician looking after me, my PCP. I ended up getting a counselor and I also ended up getting a psychiatrist in the future. Now is this somebody is something that you asked people to watch out for you or were other people around you noticing the spiral that said you need help? They were noticing the spiral. I was not able to see the gravity with which I was drowning. And did you, were you resistant to that help when people would say something? Were you like, no, I just remember being so flat that I was like, okay. Yeah. Why not? Wow. That's been really hard. Yeah. There was a time when I will never forget this. There were two nurses that I barely knew that worked in the NICU. I barely knew them. And when I put that plea out on Facebook, they came and they took Parker. One was a social worker too. They came and they took Parker for one or two days periodically whenever I needed them to overnight. Um, and that, that was amazing. There are such good people. Such good people. <laughs> I mean, without questioning, you know, mm-hmm. You know, Parker developed appropriately. Well, let me back up. So, so my postpartum story—I um, could talk forever on that—but it it ended up lasting three years, in and out, in and out. Um, I ended up getting um, neurofeedback, and then I ended up doing doing electroconvulsive therapy, which most people might not be okay with saying that they've gotten. It's shock therapy. It's electric mm-hmm. shock therapy, but it changed my life. For the better. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. And so as you were getting yourself better, mm-hmm. who was taking care of Parker? My mother-in-law and my husband. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, in those three years, I really distanced myself from Parker. Some days I would play mom mm-hmm. and try and do all the things that a mom thinks that they should do. Play dates and making hand molds and getting cute outfits and um, posting it all on social media, posting it all on social media, putting those beautiful moments out there. However, I did put the difficult moments out there too. You did. And as your friend, I was so proud that you were putting that stuff out because it's so easy to hide it. Well, you know, I lost a lot of friends over it, but I also gained 
a lot of friends from it. Mm -hmm. And did you lose friends because they didn't understand? Some were bitter. A lot of my friends also had infertility issues. And I think they were also grieving their losses Mm -hmm. and bitter, rightfully so, that I was not able to see what I could appreciate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I get that. Looking back, I get it. It wasn't something you could control. Right. Right. And I feel like even even though this part of your story isn't necessarily special needs, so many people in our shoes can relate because it's not something that we can control. It's really not. And if I were to say anything to those moms listening right now, get help, keep going, take it literally one minute at a time. Mm-hmm. Do everything that you can to just keep moving forward and give yourself grace to feel how you feel. Yeah. I was not a happy mom. I was not, it was not love at first sight for me. You know, you hear all these stories of birthing a child and falling in love. As soon as you see their face, I don't remember that. For the first three years, not just at birth. I'm sure there were moments where I felt very, very lucky and very blessed to have him, but they were few and far between. I remember having a conversation with you it was something small, like the sun was setting nicely one day or something simple like that. And you were like, I felt joy for a minute. Like I felt it. I actually felt it when I looked at my son and I felt joy. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those moments where we both kind of appreciated the fact that joy was able to be felt because so much has happened and not comparing my story to yours, but I had my own depression and anxiety struggles going on while you were going through your stuff too. So I think when we both kind of were able to take that breath, I think finding those small moments are super important for moms who are going through this. They are. And they're often overshadowed by the the dark ones. The dark ones that we hold on to. You know, we don't often don't remember the little small ones. So you started to feel better for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Yeah, you started to feel better. It took a long time, but things started to get better. And you started to feel more like your old self or what 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 was better? Well, it just felt like the road was a bit bumpy actually. Like um as soon as I as soon as I began to feel a little bit better sometimes, then we would started to learn about Parker's delays. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you, how did that incorporate into the first three years of his life yeah. and your your battle with postpartum, how did his diagnosis incorporate into that? So developmentally, he was very appropriate for the first maybe 15 months of his life. Um, he, he did get a good report for his vision and his hearing. So we didn't have to do tubes or anything of that nature. Around the 15-month mark, we noticed that he wasn't necessarily making as many words as he could or, or babbling appropriately. He started to say words and then he kind of stopped. I don't know if it was 18 months, but I think he started to say moon. I remember us going outside every night and looking at the moon and he would say moon, but then he stopped. So, you know, we would talk to our pediatrician and he was wonderful. He is wonderful. And he really journeyed with us through this. And he said, well, let's continue to monitor him and get him involved in um, early intervention. And some of this is a blur to me too, because of the ECT. So forgive me if I don't remember most of it, but... You're not fact-checking you, so... Okay, because <laughs> ECT does affect memory, which can be a good thing. Um, and <laughs> so um, 
fast tracking, I started to feel a little bit better. His developmental, we just kind of kept moving forward with early intervention. He went to pre-K at, gosh, two and a half, early pre-K, the special ed, the reverse mainstream through Chesapeake Mm -hmm. Public School. And that was great. That was wonderful. Um, He's around kids that do have delays, but also kids that are very, very intelligent and neurotypical. And did he have, along with a speech delay, did he have behavioral problems? Were you seeing any other signs? Not at that time. We did at the age of two and a half, we did take him to a developmental pediatrician and she did diagnose him with autism. That was our first big hurdle. We felt like Parker did have speech delay and we knew that he had some neuro, um, excuse me, developmental delay. My husband and I weren't positive that it was autism though. And we're still, to be quite honest, we're still not sure. His pediatrician agrees. He's not sure that it's autism. He does agree that it's some type of developmental delay. However, we decided to use the resources that were afforded to us because of the diagnosis to help him. And they have been wonderful. So he has made huge strides during um, reverse mainstream program. He's still in the special ed pre-K and he's four. He has received speech therapy, occupational therapy, and ABA therapy as Mm -hmm. well. And can you describe a little bit what ABA therapy is? I'm still learning, but as far Mm -hmm. as I know, ABA therapy is um, applied behavioral Uh, I can't remember what the other A is, to be quite honest with you, but it helps children who are on the spectrum develop ways to communicate, to find independence, to manage their emotions, to work well in social settings, dependent on what that child needs. So for us, what it turned into was social interaction. That was one of his biggest goals. He was very content playing by himself, but we wanted him to really learn how to play with other kids. This year, since he's been four, he has started to show aggressive behaviors. And that's when we kind of started thinking, "Mm, my husband has ADHD. Could it be ADHD? So we took him to developmental peds again and asked the question, could it be ADHD? And we are now currently in the process of medication management. He's four, so he's on... Um, medication for that. And it's helping, but we're still having bursts of irritability and aggressive behavior. So as a mom, I can't help but think of the birth story and think, you know, did his head trauma contribute to that? One of the questions I asked the pediatrician was, was it my fault because I didn't bond with him because I didn't connect with him for the first three years of his life? You know, the good news is I heard from the pediatrician that most children don't remember things under the age of maybe three and a half, four. And there's no scientific proof about postpartum depression, connection, and all of that jazz. But I can't help but think of it. Absolutely. I mean, mom guilt is a thing, right? It is a thing. And what a complex, you know, I was thinking when you were speaking, you know, to how we connect with our kids and how you feel like I didn't love them at first sight and how you felt like you should. And, you know, I think the order in which society tells us that we, how much we should put into our children and how they should be the absolute first, you know, may not be the right way and may lead to all these guilty feelings. And what a complex thing to have emotions coming from both sides of you dealing with, I mean, 
I don't think it's correct to call them special needs, but your own needs, you know, mm-hmm. after cool. birth and yeah. And also caring for a child that is also having delays. things that you have to address and delays. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I still to this day, thank God for my husband, literally, he has been such a trooper. He to this day will step in and say, Hey, do you need a break? What are you thinking? Do you want to talk about it? Um, do you need some time alone? But I always ask him, I'm, I always find myself asking him, do you think it's my fault? And his answer is always no. And there's reassurance in knowing that he feels that way because I can't stop those thoughts from coming into my mind. Like, did I do something while I was pregnant? Was it the birth? Um, was it the connection? I don't know. But now, so on the flip side, you know, around the age of four is when I really started to feel better. I found a good medication management. I have a great psychiatrist and I gave myself time. And I remember, and I remember telling you this season, I remember after the COVID pandemic, well, not after, cause we're still in it, but my in-laws had taken him for daycare purposes for actually a couple months Um, one or two months and thinking that, you know, COVID would pass and thinking that it was just a temporary solution. So he could do school and have daycare and my husband and I could still work. And they lived in Charlottesville. And for most people that was like, oh my gosh, you let your son go to Charlottesville for two months. And that's three hours from where we are. Three hours from Norfolk. Mm -hmm. And to me, it wasn't an issue because I didn't have a connection. I, I knew that we were doing what was right for Parker at that time, giving him love and support and school um, resources, virtual learning, daycare, things that we couldn't provide while we were working at the hospital. And then I remember having this moment where I was like, no, he's my son. I want him back. I want to be his mom. I, I want him back. And my husband was like, no, 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 he's, he's good. COVID will pass. Like, you know, and I said, no, I said, we will find a daycare center. We will make this work. Um, that, that will accept special needs kids, which I didn't know was going to be such a hassle. (laughs) And so we went to Charlottesville and we picked him up knowing that we couldn't take him back because of the exposure of potential COVID-19. And my in-laws do have some, some health conditions that, we didn't want to compromise them. And from then on, I remember bonding with Parker. What was that feeling like? I mean, when it just hit euphoric, you, like, I want my child. Euphoric and, and much needed. I finally felt like I had control to be a mom and that I could do this. And I didn't know how, but I knew that the best thing for him was to be with me. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I would, for the first couple nights, I would sleep with him and I would just look at his face and hold his hand and sing to him. And I would sing him the song that I sang to him when he was born, but I never, I don't, I would say never. I I don't remember feeling that way when he was born, but I did feel in my heart, what a perfect, beautiful gift from God. That is amazing. You you have me in tears. That is so. To go through that long and persevere through that pain, that longing, and that 
potential questioning and everything that that would bring to you. And then to be able to hold that moment and to see that moment and to feel that moment and it not be, you were present enough to be there. And my gosh, that's, that's incredible. I'm so happy for you. you. It's bringing tears to my eyes too, because I never thought that this day would come. I always thought that I would be removed and I didn't, I didn't want that for Parker, but I didn't know how to change it. So as we cry, you know, having him home has brought a lot more difficulties with it um, because of the lack of resources for special needs children out there. So how do these difficulties and even getting the diagnosis, did that trigger anything with your depression? Well, I think most importantly, I really just felt like it was my fault. Truly. Mm -hmm. And so then more thoughts would come into my mind of, I'm not a good mom. I forced this upon him because I have depression and now he's going to have to deal with delays and, you know, the thoughts of like some of the things, and I know you've talked about this before, Susan, some of the things that you can't do or that you, your, your child can't enjoy or they can't be a part of. Mm-hmm. It's not the same when you have a neurotypical child. Hey, we're going to take a quick pause. Are you a medical or special needs mom looking for a community of people who just get it? You are invited to join us in the 4AM Mom Club. Yep, that's the name of our bonus content, but it is also the name of our community. Moms just like you and me, we laugh together, cry together, and we support each other through this crazy life. You can learn more at whenautumncomes.com. Go to the top of the page and click on the button that says 4am mom club. See y'all there. So now that you are quote unquote feeling better mm-hmm. and I use that with my little okay. air quotes because it is a journey. It right? is. Yeah. But sure. now that you are on an okay side of this for yourself, does it trigger you when you get the phone call from daycare saying he's had outbursts or yeah. Absolutely. We are currently in a place with him. We did find a daycare after he got kicked out of his first one at the first day. We did find a daycare that was willing to work with him and his ABA therapist, but he became very aggressive and he became very just just angry. And when I get those phone calls and I did, and I do that, I need to come pick him up right away. I just feel defeated because I know what a joy he is and can be. He's a good kid. He Mm -hmm. has a heart of gold and he is funny and outgoing. And when he wants to be, he can be very polite. And so when he acts that way, I feel that it's not, that's not Parker, but I want him to feel like Parker. Mm-hmm. And I want other people to see him as Parker, not as somebody with special needs or developmental delays. I don't want them to to label him and say, that's the kid with autism and ADHD. Or I want them to say, that's Parker. You know? He loves trains and he yeah. dances and runs and is a ball of energy. Yeah. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you feel like, whether it is 
I mean, this is a very broad question, but whether it's family, whether it's community, um, culturally, when it comes to his diagnosis, like when you look at him as your baby boy Mm -hmm. and then you look at him, you know, when you get those phone calls from daycare or you're out in the community, what, what are, what do you feel like people's biggest misconceptions are? Most importantly, when I pick him up, I feel that they're judging me, that they're judging my parenting style, that I'm not doing a good enough job raising him respectfully. And I pride myself on being a respectful person and trying to be very motherly around his emotions, Does if that makes sense at all. But um, the other misconception too is, you know, if he is indeed on the spectrum, he doesn't show any signs that are typical of autism. You hear of the kids that have stemming, um, the kids that uh, self-soothe or um, can't deal with loud noises, um, just some of the other hallmarks of autism. Parker doesn't exhibit many of those, but there is something that makes him unique. And so I don't want him to be treated any less of a person than who he is. So it's hard for me because at daycare, I do feel like they are advocating for him, but sometimes they do put him in a box. But that might be my own thought. Well, I do feel like a lot of times... I get, I get defensive. I'm like mama bear. And it's kind of nice to feel that way too. But you have to be. Yeah. I mean, we have to be, right? Because we all, or specifically our special needs kids, are square put in a round box or, you know, a round yeah, yeah. in a square box. And that's what they're asked to be doing at all times. And it's very hard because you do have to be mama bear to push for that, mm-hmm. you know, like, to no. Right. To advocate and say, Parker can do this and he will do this. It's just going to take time and it might take a different strategy. And what a beautiful thing for the other kids to see, you know? I hope so. I hope that they are able to learn how to work with kids that are not who they are and vice versa. I mean, I have two, you know, typically developing, developing children that are older than my youngest. And so before we knew about Sayla's significant needs, it was fascinating watching my oldest going to kindergarten and, you know, kind of remembering what it was like to be a child growing up, you know, when you, you didn't have special needs kids in your classroom, you didn't have kids that had outbursts, you know, and he had a little boy in his class for kindergarten and first grade. To this day, I don't know when they have special needs kids in their class. They do every year. And he'd come home and be like, you know, so-and-so had a, had a hard day today. And when I would go in these classrooms and volunteer and I would watch these kids, you know, like my attention would go towards them if they had outbursts and these kids just, it was normal. And it was so beautiful watching these young children completely just not even have an awareness that something was, this was their typical, this was their normal. And it was awesome. And, you know, my children now have the vision and the friendship of these kids, and they're learning just as much. And it's just, it warmed my heart so much because now having a child that I hope so bad has friends, you know, and I hope can, you know, just wave to people down the hall and they're like, hey, Sayla, how's it going? Without being able to verbalize anything. So it just really, it's really cool to see the perspective inside a classroom today that these kids just get that awareness and get that integration That's my hope. That is my ultimate hope for Parker is that he can mainstream 
into a place where people accept him for who he is mm-hmm. and that he's proud to be who he is. Absolutely. My prayer, I remember my prayer when he was, when I was pregnant with him, <laughs> it was the Tim McGraw song, <laughs> humble and kind. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer, whenever that song would come on and whenever I would talk to him in my belly would be, I pray that you are humble and kind and gentle and that you love people and that you love God. And that is still my prayer. It just looks a little bit different than what I thought it would. Yep. Yep. So, Anne, what gives you hope? I think what Diane just said, they are raising awareness more and more for kids that have needs to be accepted by society and to be loved and valued as they should. That is my hope for Parker. Um, As we move forward to... It's also my hope that we continue to advocate as moms because I think we have to support ourselves. Um, And if we don't have a support system, then we can't give our best to our children. Well, thank you so much. I want to say thank you again because I know that you have touched so many people, of course, speaking about Parker, but also being vulnerable and opening up about postpartum depression and anxiety. And it's just, thank you so much for- Of course. It's my pleasure and it's my honor. And I'm so grateful that you guys asked me to be a part of this. And, you know, I do want to shed light on the fact that every parent that experiences a child with special needs, no matter what diagnosis, no matter how severe or how limiting- Um, We are in this together. And to some degree, we all experience similar thoughts and similar processes. And um, it just, that also gives me hope. That's amazing. Thank you. I wish I could hug you. I know. Hugs. (laughs) Thank you. I I also want to say to you, Susan, I want to say thank you for letting me be a part of your life and for Lorelai and Benji's life. It's such a God moment to me that we met and that we had the history that we had before that we didn't know about. And it's just such a gift. And Diane, it's such so nice to meet you and talk with you. I feel like we're old friends, Um, (laughs) but I'm just so grateful, Susan, that we have been able to um, journey in our lives together. I am sitting here almost in tears because I just, I love Anne so much and I know how hard it was for her to open up. Maybe not right now, but I, I've been with her through her journey. So I know if we asked her to verbalize what she just did two years ago, it wouldn't have been possible. And I'm just so proud of her as a friend and as a mom and as a special needs mom. I know. And I'm so thankful to that she shed light and gave perspective. I I actually never knew if I struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety because it's such a thing that you wonder and to really shed light on the depth of grief and pain and maybe a loss, a feeling of loss um, that some moms go through. And it's just, her story was incredible. It was beautiful and heart-wrenching and hopeful. I mean, it was just, it was really incredible to listen to. So thank you, Anne. <laughs> Well, this is Susan, and I have to get to a Girl Scout ceremony. 
And this is my kids becoming a girl. That is incredible. That's incredible. Uh, This is Diane, and I have to go plan my husband's 40th outdoor birthday party. And I know this is airing later, but it's a blizzard out right now. So wish us luck. Good luck. Stay warm. Take care, guys. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.